Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. farther now back on up now get away from me now my corona move away and wash your hands and sanitize my corona 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 and that is my dark humor version of entering into a very special episode of really true fiction this is our first addendum this is not an actual story we're talking about as we are in the midst of the coronavirus and uh this recording is taking place <laughs> as i'm sure you know we don't generally like to date our stories as we uh, want them to be timeless but this is a particular special episode of really true fiction in that we know <laughs> that the whole world is kind of on pause and dealing with something that's never happened before so I was talking to David the other day, and the surrealism of the scenario of the coronavirus has made us wanted to just kind of air our thoughts about it. However, David is uh, visiting his family, so he's not here today. So I actually have the immense pleasure of introducing a very special guest to this very special episode of Really True Fiction. So today I am joined by... Not my cousin, David Parker, but in fact, I'm joined by my sister, Joelle Mason. So, Joelle, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Hi, Luke. Hi, everyone. I am really excited to be here. That was a very interesting introduction. I was not expecting that. Definitely made me smile, but I'm really happy to be a part of this uh, conversation today. I think one of the reasons why Luke asked me to join is that the tech company that I work for, I'm the human resource coordinator, and COVID-19 has definitely played a role, it, not a role, has definitely affected <laughs> us. Oh, the, oh, the, oh, it has played a role in the decision making lately. You would be surprised how much it has uh, <laughs> played a big role right. in our decision making. David and I had talked about potentially doing this kind of extra special auxiliary episode, and we just kind of ran out of time in our days because he has to be uh, away with his family for a couple of weeks. And then it just occurred to me like, oh, shit, Joel would be just as good of a guest for the specific things that I'm curious about with coronavirus. To kind of set the stage for this a little bit, I have been very cognizant of the fact that this social, like sociologically, this has been very different than anything I've ever experienced in my life before. And I have vague memories of SARS. I was like 16, I think, and you would have been about 14 when SARS was happening. Mm -hmm. And MERS even, I think I had just left Korea when MERS <laughs> happened and all of that. But the only kind of placed in history moment that I can recall that feels like coronavirus and what our societies are feeling like right now was 9-11. 
So I don't know if you remember 9-11. I remember it pretty well. That was the only time I feel like the world is ending. This is a new thing, you know? So I don't know. Have you ever experienced how you felt at this before? I hadn't really personally made the correlation as you have been kind of saying with 9-11. But with that being said, I definitely remember that morning and it really was a time that kind of changed everything. It, I think Christy Hammond actually called mom and we were in the middle of doing our morning workouts. Do you remember when, we, oh, yeah. when mom and dad used to get us yeah, at 6 a.m. to long, work out in the living room? <laughs> Longtime listeners of this podcast will know that uh, I was homeschooled. And so, of course, Joelle was there for a lot of it. <laughs> actually, all of it. So, yeah, we had these morning exercises. And I, and I remember it was a Tuesday and since it was in New York and where we grew up in BC, so we were three hours behind. And so, yeah, we it would have been early that we found out. And I remember just like basically school was canceled that whole day <laughs> and we were just glued to the TV. Yeah, I think we actually got on the television in time to watch the second or what? Maybe not, but I do remember. It's hard to it's hard the to like first tower being down and then the second. Yeah, one yeah. well, it's hard to extricate your memories from real time happenings, especially because we've seen the video so many times of the second plane hitting the second tower. That I don't remember actually if we saw it happen live or not, but it, it would have been very very close there. Anyway, basically, I only bring up nine eleven to reminisce a bit I guess about like so now I've only had this experience twice in my life <laughs> where 9-11 happened and I had this feeling of it's like a categorical thing the world before this the world after this and then I would say two weeks ago March 28th 2020 is the day of this recording so it, we're kind of also making this as a bit of a time stamp to even mm -hmm. reflect on what what it feels like now, what it'll feel like, because I want to talk about the psychological effects of this pandemic, the sociological ones, the economic ones, the historical ones, and of course, your expertise, the HR ones, and how they intersect. And I'm just kind of feeling like, I, I don't know if this is going to be a categorical thing like 9-11 felt like, but it feels like right now it is. It's an interesting point. And one of the things that just kind of popped into my mind as you were saying that is that 9-11 it was just it was one day one moment everything changed like mm -hmm. it was just so catastrophic and I think there was so there was a lot of uh after the fact of kind of how people reacted and how people and how everything changed from a sociological right. perspective and I think what's maybe a little bit different in this circumstance is that there's a little bit more lead up it's almost like we're having kind of that after effect leading up to it and we're, we're not even really sure if this is the catastrophic moment i think yeah i don't know when like it could get worse is what you're saying uh, completely yeah yeah i it could <laughs> for mm -hmm. sure yeah and so obviously this is not the first time in history that there's been a pandemic or a plague is a more old-timey word for it i guess obviously it's mentioned quite a bit in the bible but it's the first time in probably almost anyone's living memory, certainly in Canada, that we've had to go through the kind of social things we've had to go through, right? Oh, totally. And even last weekend, I was supposed to go to Hamilton for our grandma's 90th birthday. And just obviously considering the circumstances, <laughs> had to cancel idea. that. But it was interesting calling grandma and telling her that. 
And I remember on the phone, she was just saying, it's okay, Joelle. It's my, if it's my time, my time has come. Like I've lived a great life. And <laughs> she really was not very concerned about the situation at all. However, after the fact, our Aunt Faye called me and was saying how that conversation started to bring back some memories of people that she knew who had died mm. from the Spanish flu. Interesting. Like and people grandma knew. Yeah. So oh. even though it wasn't necessarily her time, she well, was... Well, okay. Except that grandma wasn't born. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it was even prior to her. Yeah. But she had heard stories of people who had passed away. And so it was was starting to get some of those memories going for her. So I guess my point is that it has skipped a few generations. Right. So this is definitely something we are not... uh, Yeah, I've... In some of my conversations with some friends, the way I've framed it is that this feels very much like an atavism of our species or like I would use the image of like a we're kind of whistling past the graveyard and a zombie or something sticks its hand out of the ground and grabs our leg as we're walking by and you know us walking by the graveyard is the modern world and the modern world with medicine at such an area that we have never really had to worry about this kind of stuff and then of course the hand grabbing us out of the graveyard is basically all of human history and how pandemics and sickness and in the not distant memory even things like smallpox like the way that smallpox Mm -hmm. just ravaged people and it was kind of a part of life so it's like things like coronavirus or what they do to people psychologically i'm fascinated by the fact that this is it feels new but it's only new to like everyone alive now you know (laughs) like this isn't a new thing to our species but it's new to us i think maybe that's just how my brain works so (laughs) completely and we're both avid readers so it's definitely something we read about a lot and uh (laughs) it's in a lot of movies as well Mm -hmm. yeah as an aside of course we could say that we're talking about contagion (laughs) the most popular movie on netflix and crave right now which i had never seen and then i think it was the friday night after we all were Mm -hmm. working from home and then we decided to watch it. And you know, one of the interesting things for me is that I had never seen it and watching that movie, I think actually at least the position that I was in helped me kind of understand what was happening a little bit better. Cause as you know, for me, I'm not one to really watch scary, scary (laughs) or my genre of movies is rather limited, but it really helped put a few things in perspective for me. So I appreciated that movie. I'm not saying I would recommend it to everyone. It depends on where you're at, but... Well, if you haven't seen Contagion, you know, sorry, we're going to spoil it. (laughs) But that's okay. That's a really true fiction guarantee. I was... It's just... I, I think it's predictable how that movie parallels this coronavirus so, so amazingly close. How it was a kind of a... A, a market type thing in Hong Kong in the movie and it was in yeah. Wuhan in real life and how it just spread so quickly. I mean, obviously the big difference from the movie to real life is how much more deadly, I think it was called the MEV virus was in the movie. But what does feel eerily similar is everything else. The social response, the initial government distaste for spending a lot of their budget on this kind of thing and then realizing they have no other choice. Obviously, the social order breaks down a lot more in the movie than it has thus far in our 
world, but again, we could still be early days and we don't know. Not to be a fear monger, but you know, it's something we're thinking about is that I think what was so eerie about Contagion ultimately is that things got really bad for the people in that movie and it wasn't unreasonable. <laughs> like it wasn't like, oh, this is far-fetched. It was like, oh, I feel like this is what would happen in a situation like that. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think what, sorry, this is actually kind of on a completely different tangent, but I hey, know. Hey. <laughs> Unrelated tangents are the bread and butter of this it's, podcast. It's still about the movie though, but what was kind of even helpful for me is that, yes, it was a virus and yes, it grew out of control and yes, it was scary and yes, society didn't necessarily handle the situation well, which granted in the circumstances, probably totally okay. But what was interesting to me is that it was just so easy from washing your hands, mm. like of how you can combat <laughs> yeah. the spread of something like this. Right. Um, and maybe kind of relating that to an HR perspective is like one of the things that we need to do is to relay um, important information to employees and make sure that they're safe. And mm. one of the things that we did for so long is giving which you think is basic information like washing your hands <laughs> i was like it, it was a movie that really proves me like the importance of that where you know even mm -hmm. you're telling people these things like wash your hands all the time and then you still see them not do it and you're kind of like yeah and common it's, sense people well and it's not even just i mean it's a, it's a little bit more tragic than that even because of how effective washing hands actually is for this particular thing in pokemon terms if you use soap on coronavirus, it's super effective, <laughs> right? So anyway, sorry, yeah. So you work in HR and obviously maybe the most, other than like the medical part of this, the most interesting aspect of it has been the economic and work-based one because um, essentially we've never seen an economic turning off of the switch like this ever in our lifetimes. And your role is to work with people in very stressful times, generally, I guess. And now what could be more stressful than this? So I don't even know the right questions to ask you. So feel free to pontificate in any manner you see fit about what are just some of your feelings, personal and surrounding coronavirus in your work as an HR rep? There's just a, there's a couple different avenues. I think... From a human resource perspective, obviously you are approaching it and making sure, one, that employees are, are safe. Um, with that being said, you are also responsible for helping to keep the business going. And how do you keep a business going when something like this is happening? And one of the things you need to make sure you are doing is being very transparent and honest and keeping up-to-date mm -hmm. information for those people involved because you know what? They have a right to know. Right. And that is so, like the important. employee is affected. Yeah. Yeah. And if an employee is not able to do their work because they're unsure or they're scared, like that is not helping the business either. So, you're wanting to make sure you are relaying like accurate and up to date and being calm mm. <laughs> is very, like, it sounds again basic, but at the same time, it's like really trying to help right. reduce that fear. You had mentioned some economic stuff which right now is a very real worry for very lots of people for lots of people well i mean was it a, was it yesterday trudeau announced 
like infinite money. I mean, it's obviously like billions and billions of dollars and people can't don't have like they can delay their rent for three up to three months. Well, like last week, 500,000 Canadians applied for the EI available, which is yeah. which is um, uh, the biggest approximately one in-, in one in 70 people <laughs> in Canada. Uh, of course, all of these economic kind of fail safes by the government are seemingly so important right now and it's good, but that just that doesn't seem sustainable for a year. <laughs> What's your gut tell you on how much employers have something ready for something like this versus how much they're just waiting for the government to make a decision that kind of forces their hand? It just feels like all of the decision making gets bottlenecked back to the government for this kind of stuff. So do you think that's accurate? Like what what kind of mood is there around a business that because you generally businesses operate on their own mandates, but this is something kind of beyond business, right? I mean, I think it really does depend on the business and what what their business model is and what they're doing and how they're actually set up to operate and run mm. because there are a lot of businesses that are actually being very successful right now with ha- being set up in a way that they can work remote mm. or you know, I think online delivery apps have seen a 218% like sure, yeah. increase in downloads yeah. just over the last few days. Like a lot of the newer businesses that are all internet-based yeah. seem to be fine. So flourishing. I do, I, I mean, if you want my gut perspective, and I think that this isn't even gut, this is what's been happening, is that organizations that are more able to keep the business running Mm. even if a disaster is to come are the ones that are going to be able to continue right moving forward i think businesses that approach it maybe like we just see what the government has to do like to me that's a mentality of being reactive right from the get-go you're not trying to be proactive in a situation now with that being said again like we are in a very unique situation and a lot of businesses do need help Mm -hmm. from the government right now. There's a lot of small businesses in Calgary and I'm a huge advocate for supporting local and it really does break my heart to see what is going on even in our city. Sure. To me, that's not their fault because every city does need, you know, the little arts and crafts shops Mm -hmm. and the coffee shops and the ice cream stores (laughs) and the bookstores. Like that's what makes uh, a community and a a society. And kind of like an idiosyncratic culture for your own town, Mm -hmm. which is suffering all over the world right now, which I guess bleeds into the actual medical side of all of this, which is that it's hard to know exactly what to think about the coronavirus because there's a lot of experts who have slightly different opinions on its effect what we should do everyone's an expert now it feels like (laughs) and I don't know what's your thoughts on restarting life with an uncertainty of knowing the longer term effects because if I'm going to make the comparison to the movie Contagion that world is not brought back together in any sense that we would want the world to be right now and in terms of daily life and culture until there's a vaccine, Mm. right? And so I've heard projections of there's not going to be a vaccine for this for up to 18 months. Do we live in self-isolation for 18 more months? I mean, if that's what it takes, I guess we could do it, but maybe this won't age well, (laughs) this aspect of it. But how do you feel about just kind of 
what this kind of social structure is doing to the people in in our in Canada in Calgary and in your life your friends that kind of stuff well I I agree that you can look at it kind of in a very big picture perspective like that for me personally I think I try maybe not to do that a little bit because it can be quite overwhelming I know at least it's probably smart (laughs) a business perspective like we really try and make sure you know Uh, being in touch with what's going on with Alberta Health Services Mm. and the federal government and what updates are being done with the Canadian healthcare system and really following um, those standards like for it was 811 to call you know Alberta Health Services if you have symptoms and now they've set it up for some online if you feel like you have symptoms to try and help reduce the uh, you know the burden on the healthcare system right right now I do think it's phenomenal with the amount of cases that we are able to see. I'm talking about our province specifically. I know we have been able to see almost more than the entire country of Italy, which is crazy. Mm. But at the same time, it also helps to know that we are at least not prepared for something like this, but are currently sort of able to kind of handle a little Mm -hmm. bit of what is going on. I think for me, it's just breaking it down and just kind of handling it a little bit more um, in those, the information that we do have and what we can do now versus Mm -hmm. what's out of our control. Yeah. I guess what's kind of different about this ever is that this is the first thing like this that's happened in the age of social media. So I don't know, like I have this weird kind of almost, it's like an uncanny valley or twilight zone feel where now we are forced (laughs) to be living the kind of life a lot of people especially our age and younger are already living anyway (laughs) which is online digitally through their phones through their apps uh through their social media right and now even though that was like a luxury or a leisure activity now it's mandated (laughs) and so now all the older people have to just be doing all the time what all the younger people were doing anyway (laughs) You know, I'm actually so excited that you brought up technology because at least for me, if I've been able to see something good, (laughs) the silver lining, I guess, of what's been happening right now is that I think technology is being used in almost its like best scenario, best the, the way it was intended, I think. And that's for keeping people like keeping people in touch, communicated. I've just seen such incredible community through technology. Uh, A perfect example that I can think of is that I go to a gym quite often, which is closed because of Mm COVID-19. And all of the instructors have really taken it upon themselves to do home workouts and will do Instagram live videos and really reach out to people who go to the gym and obviously anyone else who is online and it's just it's been a really amazing thing for me to to stay connected mm-hmm. and to feel that community um even with all of this going on and the support system I think is great and that's just one example of how I've seen people starting to use technology which mm-hmm. I, which has been really cool so then in that vein what do you think will that model maintain when people are allowed, quote unquote, allowed to go back out and be social again. 
like my prediction is something like oh okay the government or the authoritative bodies tell us hey we can go see our friends again woohoo we have a big party it lasts like a week and then maybe we see another spike (laughs) in covid and then everyone I, i don't know like i'm i just don't think people will want to go back out in the same way because there'll be part fear right there'll be part fear in something like a recur because that's that's another uncertainty and psychologically damaging aspect of this particular virus is that it's here now and it's just here right so that's that's the medical or biological part of it then there's also the social slash economic side where well okay what if your gym instructors let's say or people who have more internet-based businesses start to see like, oh, okay, our profits are great and our margins are better. And if we keep this digital, we're not suffering (laughs) monetary. And maybe we even have more productivity. There isn't a particular social appetite to go out again, even though I think there will be for a lot of people. I don't know, like this is one of the great mysteries to me. So just like your own speculations on like what you think people's attitudes will be when we can start getting out of our houses again. You know, it's so interesting, like hearing those points, because I just have genuinely not thought of them. I just think people will be excited to, to leave and to go out again once they have the perception that it's safe or once the government has uh, allowed us to do so. I really... I haven't really thought about the fear component of being like, oh, maybe I I don't want to leave my house now because there's still a possibility that I might catch that. Because I guess one of my reasonings that I don't think that is that people are still leaving their house now, even when it's that bad. But I Well, but I think that the thing is that even though it's that bad and it is bad right now, we might see something much worse. So I, I, if you think about it like on a continuum, I don't think we've hit peak fear yet on this because unless our social distancing methods are very successful, which, you know, obviously, fingers crossed, hopefully they are. Let's say the people who you're referring to who are going out, like if it's, if we see a lot more deaths come about in Canada in the next couple months, and then people we know and love get afflicted with this, and we know it's something as simple as social distancing, simple, I say again in quotes, I don't know. One of the interesting things about talking about it right now and when we are is that we are potentially talking about this before the worst has happened. So I've, so maybe it's a thought experiment not worth running. <laughs> I don't know. Well, kind of what popped into my head as you're saying that is I think what's another thing to keep in mind too is that each individual is on their own continuum of fear, I think, and mm. how they're handling the situation. That's a good point. So I think that's also really something to be aware of. And that's kind of like the HR person in the back of my head talking. But from a personal experience, like I had to recently write a blog for work, which helped me reflect on my personal experience with COVID-19. And March 5th was the first day that a Calgarian was diagnosed with COVID-19. Okay, right. And at least in the media. A little over three weeks ago. Right, And so that was a Thursday evening and I was reading the article on the C train on my way home from the gym after work. And, you know, reading that article and realizing that it was here, uh, which is something we thought might happen, but we're hoping wasn't going to happen. And the week to two weeks after that, where my job description changed essentially to really read, research, know, prepare 
what our business continuity plan would be for COVID-19. Those were the most difficult two weeks for me Mm. since this whole thing has happened. So you're saying it's been a little easier lately than it was? For me personally, yes. So I think that's... What's changed? Essentially, what we prepared for has happened. We are like, okay, essentially the worst is here. Now our organization Uh. is completely set up to work from home. It's kind (laughs) of like we've just, we've, you know, it was like all of this buildup. It's like, okay, (laughs) what's the worst thing that could happen? Kind of the worst worst so, i'm using air quotes happened so for you, us you've had the safety net for the trapeze artist and they fell and you caught them and now you're like good thing we did that like from an organizational <laughs> perspective you know essentially from a business continuity plan it's like you know it's kind of bad when we're all being told and mandated that we need to work from home and that we're social distancing which by the way i've been appreciating the term physical distancing a little bit more because oh, okay. to me uh we need to keep our physical distance but it doesn't mean we can't stay in touch sure anyways that's a a little side note. no that's a useful distinction Mm -hmm. i think because as you know i always like to find the more perfect synonym (laughs) (laughs) so it's better because yeah yeah i mean that that's a great consonance with your point earlier about how you've been involved with and i've heard you even in the house talking to friends on the phone and on facetime and etc so yeah physical distancing i like that Mm mm-hmm But yeah, it was just kind of a helpful reflection point for me and to kind of your points earlier. Everyone, I think, is going through their own their own journey. And for me, it's kind of like it's really bad. It happened. And now it's kind of like, okay, what can we do to sort of move on from there? Mm. I think uh, if something else very extreme were to happen in the situation, such as all of our clients decided that they weren't able to afford our services anymore and we Mm. like it would be almost like a a little bit of a new continuum but I think it's really important to be aware of just to be mindful of where that someone else may not be in the same place that you are Mm. through this experience and I think that's why it's really important to not only the information that you relay but how you relay it is so important more so from a business perspective but I think it's also really important with your friends and with your family. Yeah, that's true because in in a scenario like this, because there's really no precedent for any living person in an experiential sense, and we are even just at the highest levels of medicine still kind of learning about this virus and how it's working. And I mean, we obviously know how it's spread, but we're just we're still kind of learning its physical constitution and how to deal with it. It's really easy speculation is as easy as it is right now because we don't know like it's it's kind of weird in the sense that this is the kind of atavism i was mentioning earlier which just means like an earlier thing from like a thing from our way back history that we'd kind of forgotten about but now it's back not even just physically but um, psychologically and emotionally a lot of human history was dealing with phenomenon in the world where they didn't know the cause of it and they didn't know how to deal with it right this is why things that would have been that eventually became known as seizures and epilepsy were attributed to demon possession, right? Or things of that nature. Or where does the wind come from? You know, why do rivers run? This kind of stuff. Like, we just didn't have answers. We didn't know meteorology. We didn't know. And so now, even mentally, we're in a position where we are unknowing about this major thing that is affecting so many people. It's kind of fascinating for the way I am and my brain and like the anthropological side of my 
this coronavirus feels like a, a mental throwback to an uncertainty about how things work. And I mean, at least my whole life in school, it's like, okay, here's rocks. Here's what they're made of. We know all that. Here's earthquakes. We know how they happen. Here's all that. Here's animals here you know like name it science math anything like we had the answers <laughs> for the most part the only the only other area of this uncertainty is it like the outer reaches of physics and almost no one knows about that stuff or cares about it anyway <laughs> right whereas now we have this disease which everyone cares about so this is a long-winded way of agreeing with your point is that i think if we're going to take anything <laughs> from our gains in history in terms of our knowledge about how to deal with problems it's to not make it worse by groundless speculation to breed fear because that's been pretty common in human history is oh this person's on the ground writhing there's demons in them make sure you don't touch them because you might get demons etc right like that kind of thing so i think that that's actually kind of what you're talking about is being a little bit more grounded in this uncertainty Completely. And what kind of your thoughts that kind of start to make the wheels turn in my head, I guess, too, is that as we had talked about before, like this hasn't happened for quite a few generations prior to us. And one of the interesting things about this situation for, I think, all of society right now is that we are living in a tech world where we have access to unlimited amounts of information Mm -hmm. and we are being immersed in the news and in the media. And I guess I'm relating it back to your grounded point in the sense is that it's so easy to get overwhelmed with what is going on and to have constant notifications coming in on your phone. And I think something that's really important to be just aware of in what's going on right now too it is this a massive information and you know like maybe prior like you were saying it's like a rock is a rock and we were told that but now we're getting like 47 different news articles on the same thing <laughs> yeah and it's like we don't <laughs> All know saying different things about the rock <laughs> exactly yeah. everything's telling us different stories about the rock and the rock just- is not cooking anything anyway we have a cure for the rock <laughs> yes the rock is the cure <laughs> <laughs> you just have to grind it up. It's, and then I just also think with this mass amounts of information, it can, um, in its own way, I think that can create fear as well. Hey, everybody. Dave and I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening. Making this podcast has been a great experience, and we really appreciate all of you who choose to spend some time with us. Part of our goal is to be super open about everything we talk about on the podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, feedback, clarifications, or praise, please send us an email at reallytruefiction at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you get your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get notified when a new episode is released. If you feel so inclined, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. That is a really good way to help new listeners find the show. And please pass the show along to anyone who you think may enjoy it. Again, thank you so much for listening, because as I'm sure you have gathered, we love talking. The thing is, this coronavirus, it could very well be so terrible, 
more than it seems. It could be less terrible than it seems medically. Like we don't know enough about to know which way it goes, right? And this is something actually David and I have talked a lot about on this podcast, so you wouldn't necessarily know this, but nature does enough to make people's lives terrible. We don't need human action to add to that. <laughs> like there's 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 enough tragedy in just existing, right? Disease, starvation, privation, scarcity. Luck is not attributed fairly across the planet for people. So do our best to not make it worse for others in any way possible, right? And that's that's kind of the point behind the famous quote from Plato when he says, be kind to strangers for theirs is a hard path too. And I think part of being scrupulous, if you are going to share information, part of being kind to strangers is to not do that superciliously or with no restraint, you know, like being very thoughtful about the information you are trying to pass and knowing your intent, I guess, like, what are you trying to do? Like, I do feel there is a kind of person who potentially likes to bring chaos for its own sake and then puts everybody else on edge without a solution. I don't want to psychologize too hard. That's what I do with David. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's a good point. I like that, Joelle. I wrote this little thing down because I, I kind of separated my thoughts on all of this of the personal and psychological as one category, the economic, the social, and the historical. And there's a couple of things I noticed in the social that are interact with economic. So I, I want to know your thoughts on this. So about 10 days ago, I guess, one of the big news stories that started coming out was a lot of social shaming of businesses in Calgary. So I read a, a number of articles on how um, like there's this uh, kind of bar franchise called Brewster's. So here's what happened was just for listeners, the government of Alberta mandated that businesses were allowed to stay open however they weren't allowed to have more than 50 people 50 was the limit on a number of people who could be in the building right so as far as the government was concerned restaurants and bars were allowed to stay open with this um, particular uh, mandate however on social media um, there started to become a bit of an outcry and social shaming like onto these businesses facebook pages for example so like how dare you put your staff in harm's way you selfish asshole kind of tenor to these so i it was interesting because they talked to i think it was like brewsters the oak tree tavern a couple other bars just like um we're allowed to be open but we're choosing not to be because we don't want it to ruin our brand so bad by all of these people now however there's all these side effects that potentially people online aren't thinking of like okay well now that we're voluntarily closing we have to lay off all these people. <laughs> and so because it wasn't the government, this is why this is such a clusterfuck, because it wasn't the government mandating it, it was more of a social thing. There's some act that made it that because it was voluntary, as far as a legal proceeding went, they still had to pay their leases and their rent to their, uh, whoever owned the building that these establishments were in. So it was like a double loss for a lot of these businesses. Interestingly, I was talking to a friend the other day about how this one bar because they've changed from a bar to a lounge, you know, the legal ramifications that they, the loopholes that they've gone through, they're allowed to be open. And my friend was telling me how the owner of this bar was getting so much shit on Facebook about this, about the danger you're putting yourself in. And her, was, and it was interesting. Like, and I was a little bit proud of this owner, I guess, in a sense, or at least because she was sticking up for herself. She said, look, I got bills to pay. I can't not be open. You don't have to come. That's your right. But I'm opening and sorry. 
uh, my need to pay my bills is now greater than my need to have good PR on Facebook for shitheads like you who comment without having to actually do anything. So anyway, <laughs> that's been a sociological thing that I've been fascinated by in that this isn't a government thing. I mean, it might be eventually, but and now the government has said that they'll subsidize so much and you probably know more about that than I so anyway what are your thoughts on social shaming what role does a good citizen have in that kind of thing you know it doesn't surprise me that that happened it's hard to even kind of like get my thoughts formulated on this because it's exactly what you like said with the response it's like a business needs to make money pay their bills have a livelihood this kind of the same way that anybody does and yes safety is so important but to me it's interesting to see how people behind the wall of social media can say things like that Mm. like and if we're gonna impute the best sort of intentions they think they're helping and maybe they are for some that's not the best way to help to publicly shame businesses who provide us services that we generally want so part of me thinks a deeper tragedy here is the kind of zero-sum tension in all of this between our economics and our health. <laughs> like, how is it that we have a system where it's one or the other? Mm-hmm. And so I'm hopeful maybe, and maybe this is part of your innovative thinking too, is like, well, what's an opportunity here of things like restaurants and bars? How do they survive? <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of like, in a weird way, I think what is sort of helpful is the awareness of the situation because I feel like a lot of times what is not always thought of it's not like the intention of store owners are to stay open as long as possible so that everyone they employ will get (laughs) COVID-19 that is not their goal that'd be funny if it was so we've been waiting for this virus just to fuck over our employees (laughs) that's what we want to do it's just like that is never what is going through anybody's mind and it's so interesting that a social shamer it that's kind of what they're claiming in a in a roundabout way and it's like that's not the case we want our these individuals to stay healthy so that i find interesting and i think that's just kind of helpful to know and i think there's like just sometimes just a lot of unawareness of of the background of the situation and i think a really good person to actually talk to about this it is David because you know he works more on the political side so he can see he has that whole perspective of when the businesses close and how that affects the government budget and all those types of things and those are actually like mm-hmm. really big things that people don't always realize when they just reach out over their you know social media message to like <laughs> right downplay a business. Yeah, because the social philosopher in me is so intrigued by a situation like this where, for lack of a better term, the government has said, okay, here's the line and don't go past it. The business didn't, but that still was a problem for the society. So instead of it being like a government to citizen decree, it's a citizen to citizen decree. And how do we solve those problems? I mean, like, that's a pretty old question where it's a free speech is something David and I have talked about. It's like, well, what happens when it's not the government trying to censor you? It's just other citizens in your country who don't actually have power over you and you don't have power over them. I think it would be a completely different situation if the government had issued something and the business was completely going in the opposite direction. Yeah, definitely. 
it's more clear cut. And the thing is too, is that for a business kind of more on just a legal side is that they have a bona fide duty to like, well, this is more in the sense of, let's just say, for example, an employee is hurt on the job, but they can still work. The employer has a duty to make sure that they can find work for that individual until they're able to like go back to their regular duties. Like, sure, yeah. And it's like, to the, it's like, I think the point I'm making is that there's a point of undue hardship on the business. The undue hardship, I think, comes when they are being sort of forced to close. Mm -hmm. If they can still operate in a way that is lawful and is just following the rules to the best of their ability Mm -hmm. to what the government has said, like that to me is just a little bit different, I guess. Well, and as you know, I mean, I'm no bright-eyed, bushy-tailed worshiper of capitalism, but I am fundamentally a, a free market person. I think what is often forgotten in our current political milieu is that free markets were, when introduced, a very liberal idea, not a conservative one. <laughs> conservative markets had, in the past, been much more feudal <laughs> kind of thing. And so to allow a merchant class to uprise and develop more and more services for more and more people was a, a new, dangerous, liberal idea. We aren't seeing it as much yet as we might, and I think it's because a lot of services can still operate online. But as more and more services close, my hope is that as a society, we can start to feel how much we actually appreciate things like entrepreneurs and business owners because they actually provide services for things that we like in the sense that like as it's the weather starting to get nicer, I like patio beers. So I like bars being open that serve that, that I don't have to do anything except show up there, right? I like mechanics who can fix my car in ways that I can't. So I like when they're open. (laughs) I like when all the grocery stores are open, which they are. And so like those people are our heroes right now, the people who are and when we go into Safeway, I imagine today when you were there, you saw a lot of sanitization going on and people with bleach and et cetera. And I think one of the behind the curtain moments for a culture that is kind of free market oriented for the most part, like Canada and and the US is. And I mean, there are its limitations, obviously, is that we start to see what happens when businesses can't give us things we actually like and what that will do to our attitudes towards them. So I call this the green light fallacy or the red light fallacy. I can't remember. It's like if you're driving, a red light is bad and a green light is normal. So in that framing, there's no good. It's either normal or bad. right? Hmm. Whereas if you thought about it like green light, oh, nice, good. Red light, oh, crap, whatever. So I think pre-coronavirus, all the bars and all of the restaurants and all of the movie theaters and all of the mechanics being open is not good. It's normal. <laughs> and and okay. now- I think I see where you're going. Now <laughs> that they're closed, it's bad. It's like, well, no, we, we need to f- change our thinking about this. It's like the businesses that give us what we want being open, that's really good. That's not normal. That's really good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. Like that's I mean, kind of how I don't have it like we do right now. It's definitely So I'm fun. I'm hoping there will be a a resurgence of gratitude for things that we maybe take for granted a bit more. I like that. A resurgence <laughs> of gratitude for what we have. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. What was kind of going through my mind as you were sharing, just from more of 
again, I think the business standpoint is that I think society was already moving towards doing a lot of things online, like that entrepreneurship component of, and just being a little bit more innovative and providing. Um, Such as creating podcasts? If anything, a situation like this will really help explain the importance of being able to adjust to situations that will require the ability to still run as a business when even something so unprecedented happens. And I think that will be successful when you can actually give like that in-person patio beer experience Mm -hmm. but at the same time if you're not able to do that have something in place where they are still able to have the maybe the beer in the backyard yeah instead (laughs) well you know it's so funny a couple times i've gone to like drive-thrus at mcdonald's um and gone grocery shopping a couple times and i won't lie i've looked at the people working at these places now with much more kind of respect and gratefulness and even with grocery store workers like a little bit of sense of like you're the hero right now. And so I've I've said thank you for what you do to some of these people in a way I don't think I ever have before. Have you, you know? seen the YouTube video yet of what's happening in downtown Vancouver every night at 7 p.m.? Are they is that the one where they're singing or where they're saying thank where, you? Where they're cheering. Oh. It's honestly one of the And they're cheering for listeners medical if you have not seen this yet, highly recommend. It is downtown Vancouver, high-rise apartments, all of these individuals 7 p.m. just coming out and cheering for these heroes yeah our heroes yeah yeah well and there's those there's those videos from italy of um people all in their houses singing (laughs) oh i haven't (laughs) seen that one so in tragedy there is a lot of goodness i mean i've talked about this with some friends because i'm at heart an optimist my hope from this entire coronavirus covid19 social scenario is something that i've been calling a social vaccine in that we're getting a little bit of a taste of what could happen if things go bad for our societies. We're getting the mild case of a lot of businesses closing, but not the essential ones, at least so far, right? Our essential services are still there. Our EMS is still there. The hospitals aren't overrun as of yet. You know, knock on wood, fingers crossed. We're not allowed to leave our house, like ostensibly, legally we still are, but socially not. And uh, medically, it's a terrible idea. So we're getting a, a, a taste of how bad things get, but like the internet's still here, the power is still on. So my optimism and my hope is that a little bit of a sense of how bad things could get will resolve us to not letting them get way worse and putting in fail-safes and, and developing some psychological and social resiliencies against this kind of stuff. Because the truth is, I don't want to make anyone scared, there are way worse diseases in the world than coronavirus in terms of human mortality. There are things that could be way worse, and there are things that have been way worse. I mean, the bubonic plague that afflicted Europe in the 14th century, they don't have great data on it, but there are estimations between 30 and 50% of people died in that era. 30 to 50, three out of 10 to every one out of two people you know dying from a disease. None of the most dire coronavirus predictions are even close to anything like that. They don't even come close to things like smallpox, things that have existed in human history. So... My hope is that because, (laughs) relatively speaking, coronavirus is not as deadly as a lot of other viruses that have existed in history, we get a bit of a social vaccine from this. Ironically, the first thought that pops into my head is that even if 
COVID-19 isn't as serious as serious as other viruses or plagues that we've had in the past, it's still very serious for us right here, right now. And I think it's just still really important to, um, it's kind of like back to our earlier conversation of just really being mindful of where each person as is at in this journey, because for them, this is the most serious thing that's kind of like happened to them. And there mm-hmm. are probably individuals who have lost someone to COVID-19 oh, and there will be right now or more. who will get diagnosed. And I, I think it's hard. I'm just a, maybe a wired a little bit differently. It's, it's hard for me to kind of like compare it in it, it in that way. And it's more kind of like, how can we handle the situation right here, right now in the best way? And I think... <laughs> We know we know which one of us is the pragmatist and which one is the philosopher in a family. <laughs> but the other thing is too is as you're talking, I think I realized that I just have maybe this weird positive outlook for humanity. Like I really do think that in situations like this, people have really stepped up and are just there's there's everyday heroes. It's kind of like those Alberta health service workers and the people at Safeway or the person who's going out and buying groceries for their elderly neighbor. I think that a lot of individuals are getting their vaccine, social vaccine from this right now. Yeah. As this it's is, happening. Like, well, I think we're probably approaching a hope and a, a destination from different directions with this. I'm really just thinking like if we can adopt that kind of grounded approach that you were talking about earlier, part of that grounded approach is realizing how bad things could get. Like it is important. It might not be for everybody and it might not be all frontline employees that, it, <laughs> that you are helping with in an HR sense need to think like this. But medical professionals, politicians, civic leaders, leaders in general, it's a good idea to remember that on the continuum of things that do ravage people like viruses do, there are worse ones. And we need to learn every single thing we can learn medically and socially and politically from this. So that if something worse, like the one in Contagion, comes around, um, we can figure out ways to avoid some of the excesses of the dark sides of human nature that can come out if that happens. And so I actually agree with you. I do think there is a lot of awesome things happening, like senior shopping hours at particular grocery stores, or a lot, definitely a lot more people washing their hands, <laughs> or <laughs> sanitation just being so much more on people's minds. Like, that's great. And I agree, but it almost sounds like you're talking about like a new business process, but for society. Yes. <laughs> From this. <laughs> I do I do think so because I think just my orientation in the world is that because I've read so much history and I know how bad life has been for so many people for so long throughout so many eras, it's kind of like everything in me needs to problem solve so that we don't go back there. <laughs> like never again back to the smallpoxes, the bubonic plagues, the anarchy, the just like serfdom that can arise. And so because it's been a hundred years since these kind of things have been around, like this, like a coronavirus or a virus or a flu, as you know, because working with kids, experiential learning is like 85% of learning. (laughs) This is what I've learned. I mean, I don't want to, I, I certainly don't want to minimize anyone's pain and suffering in this. There's a good chance we look back on this scenario as something's really good for our culture to have gone through. I mean, I could be wrong, but I 
I do feel like we have learned from plagues in the past. And I guess I feel also that... Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> I think, um, I guess where my mindset is, is that we're reacting to the situation in the best and the only way that we know how. And I do think we will learn from this. If you think about it like this, humans are biological creatures, so we're prone to disease. Uh, we always have been. Some diseases cause more havoc than others. Since it's basically inevitable that we're going to get a disease like this at some point, I mean, they recur. They, they, it's been 100 years since something this prevalent, but they've, there's enough in history that it's going to happen again. It's almost like we were due <laughs> for something like this. And because of that, this is just how I think about the world. Because of that, I'm hoping that we don't miss this opportunity to learn every little thing we can from it in terms of our social and economic and medical lives, if that makes sense. Well, maybe just to break it down super, is there anything in your maybe individual life from this situation that you maybe from economical, <laughs> sociological, like would that would affect you that you would change moving forward after this is done? Well, I do wash my hands a lot more. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Not that I didn't a sufficient amount before, but I definitely am more conscientious about it now. That's a good question. I like that question. Because I think individuals in general, each individual in its own way is kind of a representation of, of the bigger picture of society. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it really does, I think, also start on the, on the individual. So it's kind of like, well maybe for certain individuals who've never saved before maybe yeah. this will be a, a yeah. something that will be like yeah. oh you know like rainy days actually okay. do happen <laughs> well honestly the biggest thing i guess for me has been to see how easy it is for people to use an uncertainty to kind of create chaos and how important our institutions really are in a pandemic and in chaos right and the thing is too like i feel the desire i read an article that seems dire and i just like i have to i feel the compulsion to throw it out there like because you want the thing is this is a social psychological thing with your group of people you want to be able to contribute right like it like there's something else than pure information going on when you're with a group uh, especially with friends it's you want to contribute because then you have a place in your group so there's group psychology going on there too and so the compulsion is really there to share the latest article to share the latest story hey i luke mason am someone who can contribute to your lives and there's a lot of really good evolutionary reasons for that that aren't really important for this i mean they're background important to everything but <laughs> It'd be boring to just leave it there. So individually, to tie into what we talked about earlier about being grounded, for me, the biggest thing I've learned is to try and keep my opinions on coronavirus proportionate to my knowledge about coronavirus, which is really fucking hard. Mm. <laughs> because the doomsday or the chaos, it's sexy and it sells and it gets people's emotions going. And then you are someone who gets someone's emotions going. And there's like dopamine that comes into people when you do that. And so the small part of my brain has to tell the big part of my brain to not do that. <laughs> and that's been a challenge. I'm doing my best. <laughs> and I guess, and I this affects both of us, so I wanted you to talk about it too, is that, you know, our dad's in his 60s. 
and you know david's parents are in their 60s and our grandmas are in their 90s now they're alive um so they are in a much much riskier demographics of age for this Mm -hmm. kind of thing so that's been a little bit hard too actually Uh, i talked to dad last week and he's doing well and there weren't any cases in kamloops at least registered but what about you individually on all of that one of the things that I realize of why it's important for me to social or physical distance and to work from home and to wash my hands and all these things. It's because it's so easy to be a carrier and to pass it on to someone. And I think that's one of the things that maybe is easily forgotten about in this circumstance is like people are may have the mentality that I'm fine, I'm healthy, I can go to the grocery store and I can do this and I can do that. And it's really... Uh, <laughs> I, to me, that's like not necessarily being aware of, of those around you. But I think it's also uh, raising awareness. And I definitely feel like I see it a lot more um, on social media and on all these different platforms of why people are bringing up that reason as why we're doing what we're doing right now to stop the spread for the people who have compromised immune systems and yeah. elderly and... <laughs> Because the other thing is, too, it's not just affecting, like, the elderly anymore. I was reading an article on LinkedIn the other day, and it was uh, an individual who was in my age demographic from, you know, job downtown Calgary and had a dry cough and wasn't feeling so great and is now in serious condition and, you know, in the Calgary mm. hospital. And yeah. it's, it does make it um, a little bit more real. But with that being said, um, I don't think it's wise to kind of live in fear either Mm -hmm. but really just doing what we can to kind of help us and help those around us (laughs) I do feel very fortunate in the sense that myself and my organization specifically is um, fully capable to work from home and fully capable to keep our business going what's the podcast we listened to the other day distributively instead of working remotely oh, it's yeah. kind of the same yeah, premise was, uh, of making being alone. sense with sam harris and his guest was talking about that yeah i really liked that too because uh the term working remotely for me just implies that you're kind of like on an island isolated somewhere but um distributively is more we are been sharing a lot more resources of just even super practical things about how to set up your workstation and where to set up your workstation to be help with productivity and communication and how to schedule meetings when you don't have those natural breaks in the day like you would, um, you know, in the office. So just kind of um, being mindful of all those little things uh, to help kind of with that transition. I've really kind of tried to create a routine outside of work as well. I've been very fortunate that a lot of the organizations and different things that I'm a part of have kind of moved to online. So I've started to do kind of my different daily webinars, um, my journal prompting, my (laughs) at-home workouts. Uh, So those are kind of helping me uh, as an individual get through this. But yeah, just really being aware of what is uh, in my control and what is out of my control Mm. and uh, trying to not be overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember mom used to have that expression, make sure your tea is the right temperature? Do you remember when she would say that? I do. And it was, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but it basically means control the temperature of your tea because there's really nothing else you can control. (laughs) And the idea is to be 
vigilant on the things under your control and make sure that they're the way you want in your life and to be not too saddened, I guess, or anxious or hurt by the things that are outside of your control. And I think that that is probably the prime piece of advice right now (laughs) for the world, (laughs) you know? I agree. And I think one thing that every person in this world is in control of is to be kind. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's true. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Of course, Luke. yeah. This has been such a pleasure. Yeah, Joelle, thanks for joining us on this. So anyway, thank you everyone for listening to the very first addendum episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And I'm Joelle Mason. And uh, join us next time when we have uh, back to stories and back to David. <laughs> thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.